You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien, nurse practitioner, and this is just going to be a 10 questions episode. Um, I say that it's just going to be that because I'm shocked every time that people submit questions and still want to hear how I answer them, but you guys do, and apparently it's fun and funny, so that's what we're doing. Um, So I'm just going to get right to it. So what I do, if you don't follow me on Instagram, um, I will literally just put up a question box and people can ask anything. It can be personal. It can be um, like, what's my medical, you know, take on whatever. And I try to pick a mix of good medical stuff, funny ones, common things. Sometimes there's a theme. Um, And so I'll go with that. And then also today, I'm like a little bit nasally because I've had COVID, I'm on like day 12. Um, I'm actually laying in my bed. So, well, this will be question number one. It's a great segue. Welcome. Question number one. Um, several of y'all asked, how was COVID? How did I feel? Was it mild? Was it moderate? Um, so, I, I mean, I would say I had mild COVID. Um, so, it's really interesting. My four-year-old, on a day that we were actually home because of snow in Nashville, um, and she was complaining all day of a headache, like crazy headache all day to the point where she, by the end of the day, was like weeping. You know, I'm like, okay, I mean, do you have like a brain to, like, is there an aneurysm? What's happening? Do I need to take you to the hospital? Like, I mean, she was very upset and I'd given her Tylenol and Motrin. And then that evening we got an email from um, her sweet little school that her teacher had it. And so I was like, oh, okay. She, I'd heard about, um, you know, a lot of headaches with Omicron. So I was like, she definitely has it. And then that night she had fever and she barfed and whatever. The next morning she was positive. So my six and a half year old, she was obviously four, not vaccinated. My six and a half year old, um, had been double vaccinated, but like just got her second shot. And she's the one that I would have been concerned about, um, She's had some pretty um, interesting airway issues, and she was completely fine. She was essentially asymptomatic the whole time. Um, I started kind of when when my younger daughter did, I kind of started having like a runny nose and kind of a scratchy throat, and I tested negative twice, but I was home with them anyway. And then kind of day four or five of that, I started to feel, I mean, pretty bad um, for about four or five days. The worst thing to me has been a headache just that I kind of can't get rid of, like a pretty significant headache. What's interesting to me, and Ed and I were just talking about this, um, Advil, which is normally my go-to is for Advil when I have a headache. Advil has not really been helpful, but a gram of Tylenol has been helpful. Um, That is not medical advice. That is what I personally used on myself. Um, So Tylenol has been really helpful. I would say, you know, overall, yeah, for a few days, I mean, I wouldn't want it again. I was a triple vaccinated. Yes. Um, so, you know, could it have been worse? I don't know. I just listened to, to one of the, you know, world's leading experts on vaccines and this thing say that they feel like Omicron is immune evasive, meaning like 
your natural immunity or even your vaccinated immunity is not helpful in Omicron. So um, I would consider what I had mild. I also have reactive airway disease or asthma. Um, used my inhaler a couple of days because my chest was just tight. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't want it again. I'm, I'm asymptomatic now, except for it feels like my head is in a vice grip and I have a metal plate that is essentially um, throbbing. So there's that. So yeah, and it's just, you know, it was just annoying to keep have to keep the kids home and um, try to take care of kids while you don't feel good as, you know, as hard. Um, so that was question number one. A lot of y'all asked that and thank you for asking me. So if you've been following Dabbleco and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Question number two, can you get Botox for cosmetic reasons if you also get it for migraine? Totally. Um, so the Botox for migraines is super interesting. And I hope if there are people listening who have chronic migraines that maybe you don't know that Botox is an option. And I'll tell you why. So you, you can't just go into the, you know, the doctor, the neurologist and just say like, I've got migraines all the time, please give me Botox and here's where I'd like it. So in order to get um, a treatment like Botox for your migraines, you'd have to fail a couple of medications first, right? So like you can't just jump straight to Botox. Um, they typically want insurance. I mean, typically want you to fail a couple of oral medications first. Um, and failure can look like anything. I mean, it doesn't have to mean the medication necessarily did or didn't work. It can mean, you know, failing a medicine can, can mean, uh, hey, this made me uh, unable to drive or it made me too sedated to take care of my kids or go to work or read a book or whatever. I mean, failing a medicine is very subjective. Um, but you need to fail two, two orals typically. Um, and then the protocol for migraines, it's a lot of Botox and it's a lot of needle sticks. And it's every typically three to four months um, as long as it lasts. The, the average amount of time that Botox lasts is 72 days. Botox, Xeomin, uh, Javo, Dysport, all the neuromodulators last around that 70, 75-ish day range. So, you know, it's also something to consider. It's not really a quick fix. It's not a one-time thing. I mean, you still have to go in and, and get it done. Um, so when we have patients that have had Botox for the uh, migraine protocol specifically, it, it goes in specific places. Some of those places overlap with where you would get Botox for a cosmetic reason. And I'm saying Botox brand because that's what's approved by insurance. So even though um, I personally love Xeomin, 
um, and use it on most of my patients. Botox brand is, is what's used in the medical setting. So um, it's a lot of Botox, a lot of needle sticks. Some of it overlaps with cosmetic, yes, um, but not all of it does. And so we just need to know, you know, where you've had it so we don't put or, or you know, tell, uh, tell your injector that you've had the, the migraine protocol so that we know um, where we can and cannot put more because you just don't want to put too much in a, in a spot that, um, you know, would like give you an adverse cosmetic event like looking, you know, your eyebrows drop or something like that or you're more frozen than you want to be. And then kind of tying into that question too, somebody actually asked, is it worth it to get, um, to get a treatment of neurotoxin if you only can get it once a year? Um, so I thought that was such an interesting question. Yes. Um, yes and no. You know, is it working in the same way in terms of prevention? Not really, because the goal is to have those muscles, you know, not move as much as possible. Um, I often compare it to folding a piece of paper. And the more you fold the piece of paper, the more the crease is going to stay. And then eventually you can't iron the crease out. Um, but yeah, so is it worth it? Yeah, I think if you have an event or, you know, a wedding or a party or something that you really, you know, want to look and feel your best and you want to get a, a treatment, absolutely. I think that is worth it. It's not quite the same in terms of prevention, but it, it is worth it, in my opinion. Um, this is such a good question. And it's very heartbreaking to me. Okay, question three. What's going to happen with a new wave of anti-vax for all childhood vaccines? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it makes me real, real sad. So I think that um, I think that why that's happening, you know, is just because there's been so much of a, a resurgence of old information, like people like Dr. Andrew Wakefield, and bringing into the the conversation about the COVID vaccine, and that is kind of pulling in this new group of people that. Um, probably weren't in that, even in that camp before, but now they are. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's really honestly terrifying. And I, I think, I think for me, the biggest thing is knowing that my, and I'm saying my generation specifically, so I'm 37. I, th I think I'm an elderly millennial is what I'm called, um, which cool things. <laughs> but So my generation, you know, we've never seen in our lifetime, we've never seen um, polio. We've never seen even things we vaccinate for like HIV, B, not V. Um, so that caused that, that's a, something that caused a reaction in your, in your child's throat called epiglottitis. And that can cause your child's airway to collapse. So like, that's why we vaccinate against that. So, I mean, basically providers that are in training now have never really never see epiglottitis anymore because we have the HIV vaccination. And so I think it's really interesting. There's this whole generation that's never seen these diseases. And then it, in, unless you've traveled to so myself personally, um, and things like mumps, you know, and really the devastating effects that mumps can have and even measles, you know, measles made a little bit of a comeback for a minute. And it's, it's, probably going to happen again. But um, so for myself, I, I have been to practice medicine in developing countries where mass vaccination is, is very difficult and or not available. Um, so, you know, I've seen children with paralytic polio. Um, I've seen a child you know, come in that was so sick from the mumps, they're now in, you know, splenomegaly to the point where they're going to have to remove, which means when your spleen's gigantic and they're after to remove it and liver failure. And 
it's just sad because our, our generation has never seen or experienced that. And so I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it sounds like something that we don't need to worry about anymore when the reality is, um, these things could absolutely come back and they've not been fully eradicated in the world. They've been, um, you know, I think you, I think you could say polio has been eradicated in the U S but not globally. Um, so, you know, particularly, um, with global travel now, it, it is something to worry about. So I don't know. I mean, it's such a crazy time that there's so much distrust in, in medicine right now. It's really, really sad. Um, it's really sad. So hopefully people will, I posted a podcast today, um, that I thought gave amazing information about vaccines. Um, and maybe I'll see if I can post it in the show notes, uh, just, just to help people understand more. I thought it was really good info. Um, so I don't know, we'll see, maybe, maybe think certain things are going to make a comeback. Hopefully they don't, but we'll, I mean, we just have to see, um, question one, two, three, four, how to help tinnitus. Okay. I love this question cause I worked in ENT forever and personally went through like bananas time with tinnitus. And let me tell, so first let me tell you what tinnitus is if you are not familiar with it. So tinnitus is ringing, but it can just be a sound in your ear that is not really happening. So tinnitus can range anywhere from a buzzing to ringing like a bell. It can be like a, a low pitched, almost radio static sound, or it can even sound like your heartbeat, which is how my tinnitus presented. So tinnitus in itself, by itself, is not necessarily um, like a medical, like a, a problem for you, meaning like it's not going to hurt you necessarily. Like when, when you're first starting out of what is your tinnitus? Um, because the, the theory of what makes us have ringing in our ears is it's typically from sensory neural hearing loss, which is the nerve that helps us to hear as we get older, you know, starts to degenerate like to everything else. And the theory is that your brain, so you used to hear all these high pitched noises that your brain didn't even necessarily register, almost like, you know, like a dog whistle. And the theory is that you're, when you start to lose that hearing, your brain starts to like create this noise to, to take up space of things that it used to hear. So the, so the first thing is you go and you see a um, person who deals with t- tinnitus, typically an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, they do a hearing test. And then it, if it's not from hearing loss, then there's this whole kind of chain reaction of, of things that they're going to look for um, to see why your ears might be, ears or ear might be ringing. Um, in my in my case, I had like the most weird and bizarre, rare source of tinnitus. My tinnitus was called pulsatile tinnitus. It's um, sound, it was my heartbeat. Um, that sounded like my heartbeat. It was, I could actually hear my actual heartbeat um, before my surgery on the right side. I could hear it in my right ear. Now I can hear it a little bit on the left, but it's, it's not as bad. Um, so, Whole, whole slew of things with that. If the moral of the story is if you have tinnitus, please go get it evaluated because it could be totally nothing or it could be something, one, that can be fixed or, or that needs to be, you know, watched and monitored. If you just have, um, so I, you know, 
I want to say if you just had regular, regular old tinnitus, but how do you know if you haven't had it evaluated? So my advice would be, this is not medical advice. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that. My non-advice would be to go get it evaluated. Um, and one thing that we would tell patients to do would be to turn on white noise or like a really, really low radio or even TV in the background just to create noise because that's what like literally distracts your brain um, from the noise that it's creating in your ear. It can be, tinnitus can be really frustrating. It's life altering Um, for a lot of people. There actually was a program at MUSC where I used to work where they would do cognitive behavioral therapy around tinnitus. Um, I mean, it can make people suicidal. For me, when I, before I had my first repair, um, I say first repair, like I'm going to have a second one. I hope I don't, but I mean, Hearing mine got to the point where I I could hear my heartbeat so loudly, it kept me up at night. And you know how when you wake up a little bit and you usually can go right back to sleep, but like I'd I would wake up and I could hear this like deafening heartbeat pulsing in my ear. So um, for for some people, it really it can be truly life altering. Um, so how to help tinnitus? Go get it evaluated first and see what's causing it. And hopefully, it's just regular tinnitus. Um, Although I will say, now that it's now that mine's fixed, I feel 20 times better. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash you slash dabbleco and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you'll just be prompted to confirm dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash you like the letter U slash dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. This is an interesting question. My take, what's my take on the body positivity movement? You know, I interviewed a physician who um, did a fellowship specifically in um, weight loss and obesity and weight management, Dr. Risha Mittal. Gosh, this was a, a long time ago. And she said something because, I, so I asked her, I said, you know, how, there is, there's a huge body positivity movement, which absolutely needs to be happening, right? Like, gosh, I mean, women's bodies in general just are analyzed to the nth degree. And I mean, women and men, and, and I mean, we know people that are, are overweight and obese are treated differently. I mean, and they're managed differently in medicine. I mean, that's been shown. So I just asked her, you know, how do you manage that with your, your patients that are obviously there to lose weight um, versus body positivity versus the actual, you know, medical knowledge that we have that an increased, increased adiposity, which adipose tissue is, is your fat tissue, which we all have, um, knowing that there are so many risks with an increase in adiposity. Um, And I loved her answer. So she said, you have to take the emotion out of it. And what that means, or what at least I think it means for her, which I really took, you know, took this home was 
take the emotion out of of your weight and and how you feel about it. There are still things that you're at higher risk for because of weight. And so it really isn't something that we can just ignore as medical providers. You know, we can't just say, you know, you're obese, no problem, because there there absolutely are proven risks for certain conditions, diseases, and even cancers um, because of an increased adiposity. So it's it's really hard. Um and then especially somebody who, you know, I work in aesthetics and, and so it's, it's a really hard, really hard balance to, you know, to try to keep it all in, in perspective. Um, now because somebody's overweight, does that mean they're unhealthy? No, because they're obese. Does that mean they're unhealthy? No. Um, and, and we need to remember that. So, and, and it's not our job, I think as a, you know, as a society to, to tell people how we look, we need to look, um, but as medical providers, it is our job to counsel patients on risks of anything. If I had a patient that was grossly underweight but was, you know, smoking or, can, you know, drinking two liters of Pepsi a day, which, oh, my God, one time, y'all, I had this person in my practice, and we were talking about sleep apnea, which is very much a weight-related um, con- medical condition, um, and... I was going through this person's, you know, diet and how is there anything we can change? Because because they wanted to talk about losing weight, dude. They were drinking eight. I, I cannot I cannot make this up. I will never forget it. It is seared in my brain permanently. Eight two liters of regular Pepsi a day, y'all. I can't drink that much. That's four gallons. I can't drink that much water in a day if my life depended on it. Like I, and then, so the amount of calorie, I mean, uh, oh my gosh, like that. I mean, that's kind of a a side note, but anyway, so I I love the way Risha says it. Just take the, take the emotion out of it if you can, because it's become such an emotional issue, which it is because it's, it's hard. And we're told from a young age, you know, what to look like and that one is better than the other. And so I get the emotion, but, um, I think, you know, the way that she put it, I, I, I loved, um, I love that. Try to try as best you can as a patient and as a provider, you know, to take the emotion out of it and, and really only talk about the facts and and the statistics and, and why, um, why you may be, you know, bringing something up. And I think we need to do a better job of explaining that to patients too, because it's also not, I think weight gets, um, often thrown in as the first kind of answer for a lot of problems for a lot of patients, which is really very unfair, you know, um, so we've got to got to kind of think about it both from the patient and the provider um, perspective. Uh, but that, that's a, it's a hard that's a hard question. Thank you for the hard question. I don't even know why I picked that to answer it because I'm sure I did butchered it. Okay, next one is more of a soft toss. Do LED lights do anything for my skin? Okay. There is some evidence. It's not amazing evidence. Um, so first of all, they're they're not well. As far as we know, they're not they're not doing harm, which is the main thing that you know you want to make sure first. Is it going to harm you? Unlikely. But there are um, some thoughts about red light and blue light specifically. So red light is thought to work on your fibroblasts, which is cells that should promote uh, formation of new collagen, right? So hopefully red LED lights would stimulate collagen growth. 
blue light has been shown to potentially kill um, the bacteria that might cause acne. So blue for acne, red for aging is what I would say. Um, and I say might because just because the, the evidence is not um, super strong. I was looking at Harvard resources this morning. And, um, but, and it might, it might potentially help with oil production, um, which is a part of controlling acne as well. Now, the main thing I will say is that if you're, so there's a difference in LED lights at home and LED lights in an office setting, right? So you might be able to have, I am totally making this number up, but because um, we don't use LED lights in our practice, just not because we don't believe in them, just because it's portable um, and we everything we do is concierge. So anyway, let's say you were going to have an LED treatment in the office. That light is going to be significantly stronger than the one that you can buy and use at home. So I've always heard that, you know, yes, they can be helpful, but if you're going to use them at home, you have to really be consistent and be using them like on a nightly basis. So, I mean, I personally, it's, it would be hard for me to commit to that because I think you have to like put the thing on your face and are you like plugged in and I, I feel like they're probably uncomfortable. I don't know that. So, you know, that it seems like a stretch for something that we're just really not sure about. Um, kind of, cause kind of how I feel about collagen. Like, is it hurting you? No, but collagen's easy for me to throw in my coffee. Whereas, you know, an led light seems like kind of a production. Is it hurting you? Unlikely. I love this next question and I'm totally punting to, um, an expert, uh, as I should be, cause I'm not an expert. So do we need to worry about fertility with long-term birth control use? I went straight to a fertility physician for this answer, um, Dr. Natalie Crawford, who has been on my podcast before um, and is one of the, you know, a big national speaker and fertility expert. She's a reproductive endocrinologist and that reproductive endocrinologists are, 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 they are the fertility experts. Um, You know, that's who all they do is, is deal with fertility. Um, They don't, they don't do regular OBGYN anymore. They've done their fellowship and all they do is fertility. And her answer is no. Um, birth control, hormonal birth control does not affect fertility. So if you can't believe a fertility expert on that one, I I can't, then I don't know if I can help you. And I I think, so another question that I kind of wanted to tie into this one, I'm counting this all as like one question is, what's with the anti-hormone movement, um, like hor- meaning hormonal birth control, what's with anti-birth control and birth control cleanses and all this stuff. And I think about, you know, if we look at who's really promoting this stuff, um, it's not the people who deal with and treat fertility issues literally all day, every day, right? It's what I'm personally seeing is the anti-birth control, anti-hormone you know hormone coming from people writing books, people who are calling themselves hormone coaches, um, people who are really profiting off of an extremely vulnerable group of women, right? People going through infertility are just in such a crazy vulnerable time. Um, and so I would just encourage you to, to think about like, where are you, where are you hearing that from? Did you hear from a fertility expert that birth control causes infertility? If not, then I, I'm not sure that I'm giving that much weight, um, personally. And, and I think as 
women, not as much with, with men, though there is some, you know, with testosterone. I think with women in particular, it's really easy to blame our hormones because they naturally are and should be a roller coaster, right? So even when we talk about balancing hormones, well, your hormones are never going to be balanced. Like they're changing all, all, at least your, the the hormones that I'm talking about that have to do with birth control and fertility. They're changing constantly because of our cycle. It's called a cycle for a reason. If it wasn't a cycle, then it would be like your thyroid, which is kind of a steady number basically all the time. And that's not why it's not called a thyroid cycle. Um, now there, I mean, there are definitely Certain people that are at higher risk of specific things like blood clots um, and breast cancer, and there are certain types of hormone replacements and birth control that we have to consider. And so that's a completely different conversation, right? Um, and there, even with headaches, estrogen pl- can play a huge role in migraines. So there are certain things that an increase in, meaning you're, if you're taking this medication, Um, And an increase in that particular hormone causes an increase in your symptoms or your issues that you're having. I mean, that's, that's totally fine. But what I'm seeing and what I think this person was asking is people just in general, kind of generalizing that hormonal birth control is, is bad for you. We need to be balancing our hormones, that it's causing, causing problems that it's just frankly not. Um, And, and the people that I'm seeing that coming from are absolutely not experts. They haven't been to medical school. They didn't do, you know, five years of internal medicine training and then three years of endocrinology or five years of OBGYN and then three years of REI training. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just not the the people who have literally trained their entire lives, um, to talk about, to, to be able to be qualified to talk about hormones. So it's rush, a little frustrating. Um, next question, blue light blockers, legit or no? So talk to an ophthalmologist about this one. Similar answer to the LED situation. Are they going to hurt your eyes? No. Uh, Do they give me a headache? Yes, because wearing glasses or like a headache or anything like that gives me a headache. So for me personally, actually, yes, they did. They did hurt me. Um, Are they helpful? Not that we know of yet. There hasn't been evidence yet to show that blue light blockers actually do anything or are helpful. However... If you listened to my podcast last week with Kira Mendenhall, in which we talk about manifestation, aka what I would like to say in the medical field is just the placebo effect, um, if you put on your blue light blockers and you feel like it makes your day in front of the computer easier, cool. It's not hurting anything. Go for it. Shine on, little diamond you wear your blue light blockers and nobody should judge you for that. Who cares? Um, yeah, wear them. It's not hurting anything. It's just probably not actually helping in a way, in the way that we are being told that they're helping, but we'll see. That's the neat thing about science and medicine is that we're always learning and maybe in, you know, 10 years we'll have a totally different answer. Um, okay. What Enneagram am I? LOL. If you don't know that I'm an eight, I, uh, although I will say I'm, I post a lot less on Instagram now than I did a couple years ago when I started. So maybe you don't know that I'm an eight. So it's, I, um, we had a counselor. So my, my husband and I, first of all, like plug for marriage counseling. If you are in a great marriage, you should still do marriage counseling. If you're in a mediocre marriage, you should definitely do marriage counseling. Obviously, if you're in a bad marriage, I still believe in marriage counseling. I think it is 
so awesome for everybody. So we had this counselor a few years ago that we were just like, we can be better. Like we can be better at this. We can be better at marriage. And when we first started with her, it was super interesting. She, we had like a couple sessions and then she was like, have y'all taken the Enneagram? Do you know what, do you know what the Enneagram, I had no clue what it was. Um, and it, so we took, we both took the Enneagram and then I read Ian Crone's book, The Road Back to You, which he lives in Nashville and I like desperately hope I run into him at a coffee shop one day. Ed is a seven, which is the enthusiast. So he's basically all over the place. And then I am an eight, which is, um, oh my gosh, the challenger. And so like control is a huge thing for me. So Ed gets his energy from like constant change and uh, constant change basically makes me insane. So, but now, now that I know that about him, like it completely changed the way that we interacted with each other in our marriage because you understood like it no longer made me feel like he was unhappy with like our life or his job or our house. I mean, we've moved like five times. We buy and sell a house like all the time and we've moved and he's constantly, you know, going to school for something else or changing a job because his brain like has to be all the time on the move. And now I understand, (laughs) now I understand why. Um, So I love Enneagram. Thank you for that question. I'm totally an eight. And what was interesting too, okay, so when we took the quiz online, I got a three initially, which is the achiever. Um, But I I just, I was reading the descriptions and I was like, yeah, I mean, sort of like some of it. And then when I read the book, they, he said in the introduction of the book, like when you get to the chapter that describes you, it will be like you're reading your diary. And that is how I felt. Like when I read the description of an eight, I was like, how do they know this stuff? Weird stuff, weird stuff that's not necessarily a personality trait. Like as an eight, when you're in an unhealthy place, you completely drop your healthy habits and you like might turn to fast food. And I'm like, dude, there is nary a greater comfort food on this planet for me than a quarter pounder with cheese or Captain D's. Like if I am emotionally unstable, I am heading to the McDonald's drive-thru. And I was like, how, how on earth, like, how do they know that? It's super, it's just like fascinating to me. So I love, I love the Enneagram. Um, and yeah, I'm an eight and Ed's a seven. So that makes for an interesting, makes for an interesting dynamic. Okay. Last, the last question in air quotes. So I always try to end on something fun or funny. (laughs) This person I don't know you, but, but bless you, um, literally submitted 10 questions in a row, um, which I just thought was hilarious. I don't know if they thought maybe they had to ask 10 questions, but their last question was, did you think I would actually ask 10 questions? And I didn't. So now I'm going to answer all of them. I'm going to try to give very succinct, succinct answers to all of them because they're amazing. Will my Corgi ever stop barking? No, yappy dogs are the worst. Should I buy that pizza purse from Kate Spade? Um, I... Probably not, to be honest, but you know what? If it makes you happy, then do it. Number three, who do you think killed Maggie and Paul? Allegedly, I obviously think that it was Alec. Um, Like, duh. I don't think any other scenario makes sense. Potentially, Paul killed Maggie first, and then Alec came home and killed Maggie. I mean, Paul, but I don't know. 
Allegedly, I definitely think it was Alec. Uh, do you do any cool hobbies? Not really. What's your favorite movie? Royal Tenenbaums. Why? Because it's dark and funny at the same time, and it just has so many one-liners, and I feel like it was at a time in my life when, like, I don't know, I could watch a movie a thousand times and just every time get something out of it. So Royal Tenenbaums, for sure. Uh, oh, gosh, or Best in Show. I don't know. Best <laughs> both of them. Uh, six. If I wasn't in the medical field, what would I be doing? Oh, probably, like, something in clothing or design. I don't know. But then also, I feel like I'm not that creative, so probably not. I think that this I was destined to do this. Number seven, can we talk about breakfast? What should I have every day? Well, you shouldn't have the same thing every day because that's super boring. Um, today I had Greek yogurt with PB2 powder and some sprouted oat granola on top. Um, but if I really have time to make breakfast, I will scramble one egg, toast a Dave's Killer Bread English muffin, with maybe some cheese and make my own little egg McMuffin. Um, number eight, have I tried the new mustard, mustard salmon from the Defined Dish cookbook? I have not, um, but I need to. I've tried a few recipes. They've all been really good. Defined Dish is my favorite cookbook um, ever. Now she has two cookbooks. I love them both. Number nine, where should I go on vacation this year? I don't know why that's that's the hardest one. Um I mean, it depends. Like, first of all, COVID restrict. This is actually a very complicated question. Gosh. I think COVID is making it hard just because it's harder to get, like, in and out of different places. I mean, if I had to pick my just, like, all-time top vacation place in the world, honestly, Hawaii um, is the most beautiful place I've ever been. Um, Italy, just for uh, obvious reasons, but Italy or Hawaii, if you can. And then number 10 was, did you think I was actually going to ask 10 questions? And no, I didn't. But you did. You asked 10 questions, and I have answered them. So now I've answered 20 questions. And I'm confident that y'all are tired of hearing my answers. Um, anyway, thanks for submitting your questions again. Um, I have so many really good guests lined up. When I posted that the other day about who should be on my podcast, um, y'all gave me some really good suggestions. And so many people reached out to me um, that I have lined up in the next few weeks. So there should be something new coming out every week or two. Um, just had to cancel today. And I'm recording with somebody really fun on Monday. But you'll just have to see. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, share with your friends. That's how I continue to get really good guests. And I'll see you in a week or so. Thanks. Bye. Bye.